The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, church. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, with you all. Uh, before I get to today's message, there are just, um, there's one thing that I, I do want to say as I realize that this morning being my first morning with you all as your pastor, as the pastor of this church, um, I, I realize that the things that we set forth now as a precedence of normal will go forth from now into the future as, as being what we, what we call normal. And, uh, and as I was praying, I just, I'm convinced, like I said just a moment ago, that uh, New Covenant Community Church does not need the words of Ben Schwederman. Uh My wife can attest to that. <laughs> I, I am a fallible man. I, I am weak. I am a sinner saved by the same grace that you can be saved with and many of you are saved with. And uh, my heart is fickle. I am weak and I am tempted every day and... Uh, but what I know is, is that if we, if we elevate God's Word, and which is why I want to say that uh, I would love for it to be the precedence, and I know for many of you this is the norm, but I would love for the precedence of New Covenant Community Church, the, just the, the interwoven into the culture of who we are, is that we bring our Bibles to church. Now, if that's a hard copy, great. If that's an electronic copy, great. I tried that for a while, having a Bible on my phone. And I was as distracted as a squirrel in a tree with acorns. I mean, it was bad. So, so my, what I'm saying is have a copy of God's Word in front of you that is undistracted. Uh, because here's what I know. If I say, and it's not if, it's when I say something incorrectly or quote a Scripture incorrectly, when I am as, as flawed as I am, I want you to not hear that and, not, and think that that's true. I want you to have God's Word in front of you so that you know what the truth is. So, bring your Bibles to church. It ought to be just a pivotal piece of our lives. And uh, the other thing that I'd like to say is, uh, and some people may call me old-fashioned for this, it certainly wouldn't be the first time, uh, but I still believe that, that the preacher of today ought to be led of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, yes, the Bible is infallible, it has no errors, it's totally trustworthy, and it's completely useful for everything we need for life and godliness. And and it's inspired by God, by God, He's breathed the breath of life into it. It's a living word that we have in the Bible. Um, but I don't believe that the pastor can just willy-nilly open up and just preach wherever he wants. I think it has to be something that the pastor is led by God's Holy Spirit of, which after much prayer and seeking the Lord's face on this matter, I believe that it would be God's will for us to go through the book of 1 Peter. But before we get there, before we get to the book of 1 Peter and we, we are experiencing the theological truths that are conveyed in that book, I don't want it to be just a mental exercise as that book is preached. I want it to be something that we feel, something that we experience. If you were to go to a museum and you go to a glass case, and in the glass case it had letters from people, soldiers in Vietnam who died, if you walked up and you were reading the letters and it was written by someone you don't know to somebody else that you also don't know, you would read the information on that letter and it may or may not mean much to you. 
But if you read a letter that was written by a family member, someone who is dear to you, and you read the letter that was addressed and written to you, and in the corner of the letter it's got a bullet hole where the bullet that took their life as it was in the front breast pocket, and, and, and you read this letter that was to you, it would mean something so different. Because you knew the person, you knew their background, you knew what they went through. And, and in the same way, before we get to the book of First Peter, I want us to see that letter, that book, and, and feel what's there to experience. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to look at Peter's relationship with Jesus, looking at specific events, specifically Jesus calling Peter to be a disciple. Week two will be Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. Week three will be Jesus being transfigured. Then it will be Peter walking on the water to Jesus. And then finally, it will be Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, the crucifixion, and then Jesus' restoration of Peter. Three out of five of those interactions are actually, if you're ever wondering, which events only took place with Peter, James, and John. Jesus' most, the closest circle that he had around him. We're going to look at the only three events that we have recorded in Scripture, which would be Jesus' raising of Jairus' daughter, Jesus being transfigured, and Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Those are the only events when it was just Peter, James, and John. And the other events deal specifically with Peter's relationship with his Savior. So, this morning, if you're ready to get to it, Luke chapter 5. Turn there with me, if you would, please. Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at Jesus calling Peter to be a disciple. Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. And then we'll go through it. I I still hear pages. You know, it's always funny to me when pastors say, Luke chapter 5 verse 1, and they go right into it. So I'm going to give you a moment. If if I still hear pages turning, I I don't want to leave anybody behind. Luke chapter 5 verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of the Gesernet and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their, to their partners and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet. At Jesus' knees, excuse me, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. If you believe that this is God's word to you and to me, everyone say yes. If you could have taken Peter, Simon Peter as he's referenced here, if you could have taken Peter immediately after this encounter, 
And you could sit him down and interview him and say, Peter, what did you learn? What, what were the takeaways? I think very much perhaps he would say a few things that will serve as our main points this morning as we go through and see what God's Word has to say to us. So looking back to verse 1, it sets the picture. It's painting the picture of what's happening. Verse 1, it says, So it was as the multitudes pressed about him, as they pressed about Jesus to hear the Word of God, that he stood by the lake of the Gesserinet. And I'm not even pronouncing that properly, but this is the same as uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, Lake Tiberias, or the Sea of Tiberias. This is the same body of water, many different names, different people in this area, whether you're Roman or Jewish, they would call it different things, but it's the same body of water. Verse 2, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Everyone say washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So, if you're like me, you read Scripture too quick. And, and we, don't, we don't experience it like we ought to experience it. Raise your hand if you grew up fishing. Raise your hand if you still enjoy fishing. You're all obligated to take your pastor to your favorite fishing hole now. I grew up fishing with my Mickey Mouse rod and reel, bobber, split shot sinker, hook, and some wax worms or some night crawlers. You throw the thing out there, freshwater ponds, middle of farm country, Ohio, and you reel it in, and it was terrible when you got seaweed. We called it, even though it was a freshwater pond, we called it seaweed. You reel that thing in, and there's just all this water meal, whatever. I don't even know the technical term for it, but you got, we, as a kid, we called it seaweed. And I still call it seaweed. And when you reel your line in and you got seaweed on your hook, it's about enough to lose your sanctification. I mean, it's, 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 it's frustrating because when you get line, seaweed on your line, you know you're not going to catch any fish. You got to take everything off. It's poking you to death while you're trying to rebait your hook. You have to cast it back out there and hope that you don't get seaweed on it again. And Peter, as we'll learn, was out there fishing all night with his friends, with his co-workers. Didn't catch a thing. That's pretty bad, because nighttime is a really good time to fish, as many of you know. Didn't catch a thing. And the Bible says that they had removed their nets from the boat. They're sitting off a distance from their boat, and they're washing their nets. Because I want us to get this picture. They wouldn't have needed to wash their nets unless there was seaweed in the things. And just to give us a quick visual here, just to make sure we see, uh, their, their nets would look a little bit more something like this, okay? So as much as I want to throw my rod in the water when I get seaweed on my hook, they would have had something like this, only much, much larger than this. Much larger. And it would have had seaweed all caught up in it. It would have been a mess to have to get seaweed out of one of these things. And, and, and here's what he's doing. He's sitting there, and he's, he's got this, this seaweed in his net. They're cleaning. Their co-workers, they're with him. They're cleaning the seaweed. And he sees Jesus on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and people are thronging him. There's all these people around and pressing about so they can hear the Word of God. And here's something, if you, could have, if you could have interviewed Peter after this event, I think he would have said something like, don't let the mundane cause you to miss being part of what God is doing. Praise be unto God that Peter was not so engrossed with, with cleaning this net, with, with picking the seaweed out of this thing, that he never lifted his eyes to see the Savior. Because what we know from this is it just in a matter of moments, Peter goes from a net-cleaning seaweed picker to being Jesus' chauffeur around the Sea of Galilee while he's preaching. Don't let the mundane cause you to miss being part or to seeing what it is 
that God is doing. Peter could have, if he was like me, probably would have just cussed the thing and thrown it away and just said, I'm done fishing. But praise God that he didn't let the mundane cause him to miss looking up and seeing his Savior. He would have never known that it was Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. All the things that Jesus and Peter were going to do, he'd have no clue, but he lifted his eyes. He wasn't so entrenched in the mundane that he was doing. And I think this is a, there's a wonderful lesson in this. Uh, some of you this morning are students. And schoolwork is mundane. I'm in like the 21st grade, and I'm still thinking that school is mundane. And you're in the mundane. I see some of you young people are like looking at your parents and like, yeah, it's hard. It is. There's, there's a mundane nature to this schoolwork, and it's hard. But, but could it be that we should keep a good attitude because, because God is laying layers of wisdom and found, knowledge in your life that you're going to use this education later as a student, whether you're in grade school or college or whatever you're in. Don't let the mundane cause you to miss seeing what God is doing in your life. Isn't it interesting that Jesus sat down in Peter's boat? Could it be that that Jesus is doing something in your life with this mundane thing? Some of you in this room are single. And it's maybe your hope currently or will be your hope in the future to have a godly spouse. And there can be kind of this, especially when you get in your 20s, mid-20s, late 20s, and you kind of have this feeling like, oh, man, I, I, you know, as a Christian today, you know, and you're wanting to date a Christian person, which is the only person that a Christian should have business dating anyway. And, and, and there's this kind of this mundane nature of like, man, there's like Friday night after Friday night. I don't know of anybody that I could go on a date with. And could it be that in this mundane thing doing as you're washing the nets right now that we ought to lift our eyes and realize that God could be doing a work in your life laying foundations of a relationship with Him so that when God brings you a godly spouse, you have a blessed marriage. Some of you are in that kind of what I would say middle age type world where you kind of have this rhythm of life of waking up, showering, running kids around, working, coming home, sleeping, and then doing it all over again and all over again. And all over again. Not a whole lot of variation in life. And, and, and could it be that in this mundane task that we ought not to get frustrated in that. We ought to, we ought to continue on realizing that Jesus could be doing something amazing in our life and our, and our steadfastness of marching forward in life for the sake of our spouse and for the sake of our children and for the sake of the next generation that we're raising up for the Lord. Some of you, and I'll say this nicely, are seniors in this room. And don't get me wrong, this kind of mundane sounds kind of nice. It involves lots of coffee sitting on the front porch and nice bank accounts. But even in this nice mundane... <laughs> that wasn't even supposed to be as funny as that was. You've got this... You know, I had one in a ministry... In a, I wish I could be joking. In a ministry context, I one time had an old person look at me and they said... and I was, They were old, okay? They said, I've got... They looked straight at me and they said, Sonny, I've got socks older than you. And I thought, you need some new socks. <laughs> and they just had this kind of just rhythmic, bitter kind of... And they really... They lived as if they only had 10 or 20 years to live, which was true, but in the bad way. That they're just going to... They're just going to finish out their last 10 years on their front porch. Could it be, seasoned saint, that God has laid years of wisdom and a foundation of knowledge that your last 10 to 20 years in life could be the most, the greatest time that God has used you for His kingdom? Don't let the mundane cause you to miss, cause us to miss what God is doing around us. Jesus could be sitting in your boat 
Don't keep your eyes fixed on cleaning that net so long that you don't look up and see the Savior. You know, there's even kind of this mundane stupor in the secular culture. I notice a lot with people, mine and Brianna's and Travis's and Abby's age, all this, uh, the millennial generation, um, you, you see this, a lot of the people our age grew up in school and predominantly all that they heard was that we're just primordial goo, that the Big Bang and evolution and, and there's, the truth is relative and it's survival of the fittest. And you know, I, I saw this, just this past week, I saw that express itself in the most sickening way I could even imagine. Many of you know that we just recently recognized, what was it, 18 years since 9-11 took place. And among people I know that are, are my age, and, and, but they're not Christians, they don't believe in God, and they just believe all this kind of mundane stupor that they're in, and they just feel like it's just some stupid thing. Even 9-11, something that was so catastrophic in our culture, and they just believe that it's just survival of the fittest. And that's where we can come along to them and say, no, God's Word says that there is evil, darkness in this world, and His name is the devil, His Lucifer, and He's... He's going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And his goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But, but the work of Jesus crushed the head of the servant. Like we can tell our world and our culture that's in this mundane stupor. Don't let the mundane, either in your own life or if you can, the lives of those around you, cause you to miss to see the picture of what it is that God is doing. Whew, preaching now. Alright, verse 4. Look at verse 4, and we'll continue on. When he, Jesus, had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. So the next thing I think that Peter probably would have learned and something that we can extrapolate out of Scripture that, that means something deeply to us as we paint this picture and see what's going on is that following, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, following God's instruction leads to God's provision. I say, I think you have it up on the screen behind me. Following God's instruction leads to God's provision. Now, this needs some explanation because what I'm not talking about here in following God's instruction leading to God's provision. Peter cast the net. He followed the instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were much fish, two boatfuls of fish that were causing these boats to sink and it led to God's provision. This is not the prosperity gospel. And what I mean by that is this, what I'm saying is that following God's instruction leading to God's provision is not the message that I'm preaching. And you'll learn that I, I abominate the prosperity gospel, which says that if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he'll make you healthy and wealthy. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not the truth. Here's what I mean by this. And you can jot the references of these verses down. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God can show himself strong on behalf of someone who's on their deathbed with cancer. 
You see the difference. This is not the prosperity gospel. He can show himself strong on behalf of that person because that person's heart is loyal to them by blessing them in all kinds of ways that they could have never imagined. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. There was a story from years ago, the emperor, the Roman emperor Nero, he was one of the most, he hated Christians, he persecuted Christians more so than any other emperor that we know of in the history of that time. And there was this large group of Christians that, that were self-proclaiming Christians, and he had declared a law that said that if you will not denounce Christ, you will be killed at however we please. And this large group, they all denounced Christ except for a group, I think it was of like five young ladies they would not do it and he gave them multiple opportunities and said if unless you deny christ you will be fed to lions and they say we don't care we we will not deny our savior and it happened just as nero said it would he fed them to lions and and this just shows you how sick he of a leader of a roman emperor that he was after their bodies would be ripped to shreds by these wild beasts he would go out into the Colosseum in these different areas where they would perform these types of things and 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 something that he saw almost drove him mad was that each one of the faces of these young ladies who would not deny christ was turned into a smile and stayed that way as their dead bodies as their spirit left their body to be absent from the bodies to be present with the lord and their bodies smiled because of it and it almost drove nero mad how could they do that it's because god kept those people those people who were being ripped to shreds by wild animals he kept them in perfect peace because their minds were stayed on him and they trusted in him deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 2 Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Following God's instruction leads to God's provision. And now, in this moment, Peter has a choice. He's sitting there in the boat with Jesus and, he, and Jesus tells him to launch out in the deep and to cast the net let down for a catch. And, and just, just let's be honest with, with each other for just a brief moment. If you were Peter in that moment, you had just cleaned this huge net with seaweed. Lord Jesus, help him. And, and, and it had been fishing all night, didn't catch a thing. It's now probably mid-morning, a really bad time of the day to be fishing. And Jesus tells you to let down your net again. Raise your hand if you would not have done it. The rest of all of you are liars. I'm just saying, that's, that's, we're going to preach about honesty next week. No, I'm just kidding. We know the story. Peter obviously obeys, and it works out wonderfully for him. But this choice that he makes, following God's instruction, leading to God's provision, that choice, that, that counterintuitive, Jesus, I don't understand why you're asking me to throw this net out. We've caught fished all night, and we didn't catch anything. It seems really counterintuitive that you're asking me to throw this net out. It mirrors, that same decision mirrors decisions that you and I make every single day in all sorts of different facets of life. When somebody's treating you, whether it's a boss or another co-worker is treating you terribly at work, it seems and feels very counterintuitive to turn the other cheek. But that's the net that Jesus is asking us to throw. Treating your spouse with kindness when they've been a doofus, which is the decision Abby has to make every day, It doesn't feel real good and it can seem counterintuitive, but that is, church, the net that God has asked us to let down. Dads, will we lead our families? We have a decision to lead our families 
to be the disciple makers of our children. Wives, will you follow the lead of your husband? Singles and married people to live rightly in mind and in body, to live holy before God. Will we aspire to those things? Will we strive? Will we, will we devote ourselves to the work of those things? Those are the, that's the net. Those are the nets that God is asking us to let down. Obeying God leads to His provision, listening to what He has to say. Cast the net. Elbow your neighbor and say, cast the net. Do it like you mean it. Say, cast the net. What would have happened if Peter just said no? I'm tired, Jesus. I don't want to do it. I'm tired of cleaning seaweed out of this net. And I'm tired from being awake fishing all night and not catching anything. I'm going to row this boat to shore and you can go on your way and I'm going to go home. I mean, we don't know because that's not what happened. But I have to imagine that maybe the man, the lame man that God used Peter through Peter to heal this lame man in Acts chapter 3 probably would have never been healed. The 3,000 people that came to knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and were baptized after Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon, those people may have ended up in hell. I don't know. All the things that, you know, when Jesus looks at Peter and says, upon this rock I will build the church. That probably wouldn't have been Peter. So the encouragement from this church is cast the net. What will happen if we don't cast the net? Because the stakes are very high, as it was in Peter's life, and so it is for us. The, the stakes are high whether or not we cast the net. If we don't cast the net that Jesus asked us to cast in our marriage and raising our children and in eternity, casting the net of faith, of, of trusting Jesus and not trusting in ourselves, the stakes are so high. Proverbs 3, verses 5-6 through six says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And sometimes you have to ask, like, okay, why does it say to trust in the Lord with all our heart? Why can't we just do like the Disney princess thing and just trust our own heart, you know? Huh? It's because Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, it says that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what our hearts are. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. Following God's instruction leads to God's provision. Let's move on. Look to verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, when he saw this huge catch of fish and the boats that were sinking because of all the provision that God had provided, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished. Everyone say astonished. They were astonished at the catch of fish which they had, caught, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Isn't it interesting when you look at these verses? In verse 5, Jesus, Peter calls Jesus Master, which was just a respectful term to call an elder, someone that was a counterpart, somebody it was a respectful term. And, and Peter's totally fine just to row Jesus around while Jesus sits there preaching to the multitudes that are standing on the beach. And, and that's fine. But the moment that, that Peter recognizes who it is that Jesus is, the moment that, that, that Peter recognizes his sinfulness in comparison to the holiness and righteousness of Christ, all of a sudden he's saying, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. He goes from Master to Lord in three verses. And the only thing that caused that was, was Peter's recognition of his difference, the gap between him and Jesus because of Peter's sin. So the next thing you could write down, the thing that I'm sure Peter learned from this 
experience as they're having this interaction, just them two on this boat. The expansive gap between us and God is our sin. The expansive gap. Everyone say expansive. The expansive gap between us and God is our sin. And there's this trend, I'm sure you've noticed, there's this trend in the culture that's like, you know, the gap that they see of their unrighteousness and their sin that their life is full of. And it's usually not too hard to convince people that there's sin in the world. You know, you look around and you see the evil and, and, and people recognize that they're, they're lacking in something. And the way that people want to shorten that gap is they start taking sins that are inside that gap, that huge list of sins that every single one of us are guilty of, and they start t- taking them out. And as they take those sins out, like homosexuality and fornication and lying and cheating and all these things that people just, they, they, they pick and choose and they feel like this gap is being shortened, all of a sudden they don't even feel like they need Jesus because they feel like a God themselves. They don't feel like, they, they don't feel like they're lacking all that much because people are convinced that they're a good person. They're convinced that they're, that they're not too far off from this Jesus type character who walked around the Sea of Galilee teaching good principles. They don't feel like they're too far off and 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 this is not to anyone's benefit to shorten that gap and what i'll tell you does not help that at all is christians self-proclaiming christians where for example if this line on this platform right here was was the difference between living holy and, and stepping over into sin what so many people want to do and this this the people the rest of the culture that have this gap and they're just they're doing all they can to make themselves feel better and removing all these sins when christians see that line and their goal is to see how close they can get to that line without stepping over you know well i can i can do this but as long as i don't do that i'm fine and and their goal is to get as close to this line as they can instead of running the other way i you know i think of hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin. So you shed, you shed off the weight, the sin and the weight, and you run to Jesus because He's the author and perfecter of our faith. The expansive gap between us and God is our sin. And, and people and the culture, they, they remove these things and, and all of a sudden they've removed all these sins between themselves and God and they, and they don't even feel like they need Jesus anymore. And we know that's true because you tell people about Jesus and they're like, yeah, I mean, it sounds nice. It sounds nice that He was a Jewish rabbi who taught, but I don't feel like I need Him as Savior. It's kind of like this. Let's say, um, let's say Bruce and I are on vacation and, um, and, and let's, or let's say right now, let's say I just pull out from somewhere I pull out a life preserver and I come down and I hand it to Bruce and I've got the other end of the rope and I'm like here Bruce I'll pull you to safety he'd be like man that guy's wife and child are nice but let's just rack that up for another reason why I think Pastor Ben's weird you know and and it would mean nothing to him because he's on dry ground he doesn't need this life preserver with me pulling him to safety now let's say we're on vacation we're out swimming in a lake somewhere and let's say the, he's his feet are just where and he can't swim I don't know if he can or not but let's say that he can't for the sake of the story and and let's say that he's doing that phase where he's just kind of bobbing and, and the, the, the sand has kind of drifted off in this lake and, and he's kind of taking a little he's not in real bad trouble yet but he could use a friendly helping hand so I you know I throw him the life preserver and I pull him in he'd have a little bit more appreciation for rather than throwing him a life preserver that's here on this dry ground what if he was really drowning Let's say, let's say he's drowning, and if I don't save him in the next 15 seconds, water's going to fill into his lungs, and he's going to die. 
I throw him the life preserver, his, his appreciation for this increases dramatically. What if he's drowning and for whatever situation, I can't throw him this life preserver. I have to jump in, go up underneath him, and push him to the edge of the shoreline. And let's say to do that, I have to expend my own life in order in one act of saving Bruce. I have to, I have to give up my own life to save him. We're just barely starting to scratch the surface of what it's like with us and God and the huge expanse that we have nothing to offer. We have no ability to save ourselves and that Jesus Christ our Lord would save us in this way. The expansive gap between us and God is our sin. And I, and I just have to think in my mind that as Peter, after the crucifixion and the death and the, the resurrection, the grave, all those things happened. He sees the empty grave. He sees the grave clothes folded up where Jesus was laid. His body was laid. After all that took place and Peter realizes what Jesus had done, I'm, I'm, I have to imagine that at some point Peter probably thought to himself, he probably remembered back to when he was in the boat with Jesus and he feels this huge gap between him and Jesus because of his unrighteousness. And, and, and he probably thinks to himself, that feeling that I had, this gap that I felt between me and Jesus, that's, that was why he came. He came to bridge that gap. I can't help but think that there was a really thankful moment. Who knows, maybe it was when Peter was laying awake in bed one night and he's thinking, oh my gosh, that distance that I felt between me and God was why he came and sat in my boat to fix that for me and all who would trust and believe in Him. The expansive gap between us and God is our sin. Look to verse continuing on. Verse 10, part B. It says, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Everyone say those words with me. Do not be afraid. Now you say it by yourself. Of what, Pastor Ben? What shouldn't we be afraid of? We shouldn't be afraid of anything. Do you know the Bible says do not be afraid 365 times? It's almost like God knew what He was doing. Do not be afraid, Peter. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed Him. So this last piece is, is, in, a phrase of, is in the form of a question. And the question that I'd love for you to write down in your notes in the side of your Bible, wherever you're taking notes if you are, the question is simply this, are you willing to forsake all and follow Jesus? Because kind of like we said at the beginning, if you could have interviewed Peter right after this moment, you could have asked Peter that question. He was like, yes, I, I was willing to forsake all. I left. He's a fisherman and he's got two boats full of fish. His whole livelihood. And he forsakes all and follows Jesus. Here's how Jesus teaches this. In Matthew 10, verse 37, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So what Jesus is saying is follow, forsaking our life, forsaking our sin, and trusting Jesus and following Him and, and loving Him. It's like the love that a parent has for a child. Your child 
For those of you that have children, you know this. If you don't have children yet, you've probably seen a glimpse in the faces of the parents around here. Your children are your treasure. You wouldn't sell them for billions and billions of dollars. You would die for them. You wouldn't even have to think about whether or not you would take a bullet for them. You would just do it. They're your treasure. The question is, is Jesus, is Jesus our highest treasure? This idea of being worthy of Jesus is not like working our way. It's, it's are you suitable to follow Him? Because if Jesus isn't your highest treasure, you'll follow something else. Your treasure is something else. And my prayer, as I have prepared the sermon and thought about this day, my prayer has been that New Covenant Community Church would be a church where Jesus is our highest treasure. Where there's nothing more important than just being in His presence and hearing His Word taught and praying to one another and loving each other and being His bride, His body, that Jesus would be our highest treasure. Brian, would you come and play for us please as we begin to close here. Just to recap very quickly, don't let the mundane cause you to miss being part of what God is doing. Whatever mundane thing is in your life, lift your eyes from washing the nets for just a moment to realize what it is that Jesus could be doing. Following God's instruction leads to God's provision. And that is not the prosperity gospel. That is wonderful news that, that the rhythm and the pattern that we see in Scripture is that God is looking to bless people whose hearts are steadfast to Him. Is that true for you? Are you steadfast in the Lord this morning? The expansive gap between us and God is our sin. And that is the decaying, dying message in America today from the American pulpit. But it is the truth that the expansive gap, the, the unable to be crossed path between us and God is our sin. But Jesus Christ, who was the only one who could, who could cross that gap for us, He did it. And He did it in the form of a cross that He didn't deserve, and a grave that wasn't His, and a resurrection that's all ours. Are we willing to forsake all to follow that kind of Savior? That's the decision that every person has to make. And that's the decision that I have chosen with God's leading to give my life to that work of leading people to that place of determining whether or not they have actually trusted Jesus in that way. And here's what I can say about the Savior. And I know many of you know Him. You've known Him longer than I have been alive. I just hope that your socks are newer than I've been old, you know. But here's what I can say if you haven't known Jesus for a long time, or maybe you have and you just need a fresh reminder of who it is that Jesus is. He didn't hold anything back for us. He didn't hold anything back for you individually. For us as a church, He's provided all His Word, His Holy Spirit. As the church together, we have all that we need in His Word and Him helping us. But for your soul individually, He provided all. He didn't hold anything back. Not the whipping, not the nails in his hands and his feet, not carrying that huge cross on that road they call the Via Della Rosa. He didn't hold that back. He didn't hold back being spit upon and mocked for our sake. I can follow a leader like that. I can follow that kind of king because he didn't hold anything back for me. Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray, and then as after I pray, Brian is going to lead us in a song. And, and this altar is always, uh, the precedence I'd like to set forward is that 
This altar at the conclusion of our services is always welcome for people to come and pray, and I'm happy to pray with you. Or if you have somebody else, I understand that not many of you know me all that well. If you have a friend or a family member that you'd like to come and pray with, I'll leave you alone and you can just come in this altar and pray. But this altar will always be open for us to come and, and seek the Lord's face. So let me pray. We'll have a time of singing, a time of response in our hearts, and then I'll pray to conclude, and then Brad will come after that. Father, You're good to us. Even how You dealt with Peter all those years ago in that boat. Jesus, Your nature is just... You're so compassionate. You just... You led Peter to the perfect conclusion that You were the Son of God and the amazing display of power that You showed him. And God, I just thank You that You're the same God yesterday, yesterday, today, and forevermore. And we can trust You the same way that Peter left those boats full of fish and forsook all to follow You. God, we can do the same and, and You promise never to leave nor forsake us. And I love that about You, Jesus. I love that about You. Let us be a people that collectively say that together in our hearts. In Jesus' name.